How's it going? Okay, good. I was like, all right. We're really going to need to bring the energy up in here. That's good. Reflection is so wonderful, so spiritual. Y'all, somebody drew a beautiful picture with something. I don't know what this is, and then it goes in a line to eternity, so that's great. Not my notes, so I'm going to ditch them. My name is Crystal. Welcome to Crash. Um, If you guys have been here for a little while, you might have seen me, like, jumping up to open or close, but I get the privilege and... I don't know what to call it. The privilege, the joy, the great honor <laughs> of leading this community. It's fun. There's a lot of amazing women here. Um, and so what I love the most about leading this community is I get to meet all of you guys. And so get to know your stories, get to know where you're from, get to know what makes you tick sometimes, get to share my life with you. So in the tradition of sharing three important things about ourselves with you guys. I wanted to share a couple things about me. I've been married for 17 years to my college sweetheart. That's him. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Also, I have a huge family. My parents and my siblings live in town um, with their kids and spouses. That was Christmas. Attempting to make gingerbread houses. And I say attempting very honestly. It didn't work. Um, And then I think I have a slide up Yeah, those are my siblings. Yeah, I didn't know if you guys would care or not, but there they are. There's five of us. What? Oh, thanks, Tay. Thanks for caring. Um, Also, this is my, like, I'm always, like, you know when they ask you that on-the-spot question of tell us one interesting fact about yourself? I'm always like, ah, I don't know. I'm blonde. Like, I don't know. So here I have something for you guys. I was in a reality show for a brief period of time. And that's me right there, looking completely lost halfway down the the line. And you can keep going. And that's me being interviewed, still kind of like dazed and confused, not really knowing what's going on. So it was a reality show that never got picked up. I just filmed the pilot. That's my claim to fame. It wasn't even 15 minutes. It was like five minutes. So there's my five minutes of fame, guys. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you. I don't want you all to watch this. No. 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 Do you know? Do you know? Those of you who know better not tell. I will, I will find you. No. Oh, gosh. That's so messed up. All right. No, I don't feel that loved. Anyway, moving on from my sad life. Um, <laughs> so, guys, we're going to talk about Jesus coming back tonight. Isn't that exciting? I'm glad you think so. I was like, this is going to go really well or really terribly. Like, there's going to be not much in between tonight. So hopefully we're going to go well. I was making jokes all week about, like, we should have a stack of robes in the back, and we should make everybody wear a robe before we start. Because haven't you guys, like, all connected those weird things with, like, the end of the world or the end times or Jesus coming back? Like, it's just a little weird to talk about, right? And honestly, for the most part, I think churches have kind of veered away from it lately because it's kind of weird to talk about. It's kind of scary. There's lots of, like, different opinions, and people think they can read the book of Daniel, and then they can add all the numbers up, and then they know when Jesus is coming back. Y'all, just, I'm going to help you. If someone says they know when Jesus is coming back, they do not. Just ignore them. Don't put the robe on. Don't buy into it. You're going to be fine. Y2K came and went, and we were all still here, so, you know, it's all right. Um, I have pretty clear memories of watching an old movie. If any of you grew up in Christian culture, 
in the 80s and 90s, you may have seen this. It was not the Left Behind movie, which is the newer version. It was an old movie from like the 70s <clears throat> in which um, Jesus comes back and everyone is taken to heaven and then the movie follows what happens afterwards. Terrifying. Poorly made, so that was terrifying, but also terrifying in like content and stuff. And so I remember watching this in middle school and I was so traumatized. I was like, oh my gosh. And I remember checking my family because clearly the rest of my family was saved, but I, you know, it was questionable. So I was like, oh, if it got quiet in the house, I would like sneak around to make sure my mom and dad were still here. Yeah, that's a, tr- that's a true story, you guys. I'm going to be really real with you tonight. Also, like if my siblings all kind of scattered because there's five of us, I'd be like, one of you should be here right now. Where are you? <laughs> so I would check on my family all the time to make sure that they were still here and I was not left behind. I wasn't really clear on what I would do if I got left behind, but I will tell you guys, I have a small stash of beans and rice in my house to this day, just in case I need to survive in the wild. I'm not worried about being left behind anymore, but like, you never know when you're going to need to survive, right? So beans and rice, I'm ready. So obviously that episode left its mark on my life. Um, And 12 was kind of a really odd year of spiritual fear for me. Like, I remember that whole thing, and then just like being afraid of going to hell and just being afraid in general. It was a lot of fear. So I made a profession of faith, and I got baptized. However, it was all terrible. <laughs> Even my baptism was terrible because my dad baptized me in this really muddy lake in the middle of Bolivia, which is where I grew up, and um, he didn't tell me when he was putting me under, so there was a lot of drowning and gasping for air <laughs> and feet kicking. It was just, none of it was good. <laughs> and so I came to understand salvation in Jesus at the age of 15, three years later, and had my real conversion story. And I'm going to tell you guys about that a little bit later tonight. Um, but there is a weird tension in the church when it comes to talking about the return of Christ. Either it's like all fear-based, and we're going to freak everybody out so they'll go to heaven with us, or we're going to stand on hills and be odd cults and like, you know, just freak everybody out with our oddness, or we're not going to talk about it. So there's a lot of misinformation and there's a lot of no information. And the, the, the Bible talks about it a lot. And it's a part of the early church. For them, it was a, an intrinsic part of their hope. An, intri- an intrinsic part, I need to stop using the word because I can't say it. A big part of their um, identity as Christ followers and a big part of how they looked at the world. And so we want to kind of like frame it that way tonight. We're not going to go into like any kind, if you guys have heard any arguments about when Jesus is coming back or whatever, we're not going to get into that. Um, because it doesn't matter. He's coming back. When? We don't know, but he is. So what I want to do tonight is clarify why that should matter to us right now, um, and go from there. So you guys want to pray with me? Because I'm going to need help. Um, Jesus, yeah, will you just please help? Because <laughs> tonight I just feel, um, not weight, it doesn't feel weighty, Lord. It just feels like, can we wrap our minds around this in a way that is the way you intended it? for us to look forward to your return, to there to be joy in connection with that thought, um, for us to be able to use your return as a, a way of not looking at the world around us um, and feeling despair, Lord. Will you come and will you teach and will your scripture teach us tonight? Um, and will you just, yeah, just protect us from error, Lord, and just keep us um, in the way that you want us to go. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, I do believe that it's really important to connect to that tonight, and that's why um, I wanted to talk about it, and that's why um, we're doing it tonight for a couple reasons. 
you may or may not have noticed that the news has gotten really bad. Um, there's lots of natural disasters. There's lots of conflict in the news. There's lots of wars. Um, politics, I'm not going to talk about them, but there's lots of stuff in politics too. So if we focus on the world right now as our hope and our future, there's nothing but hopelessness if we just look at the news, right? There's nothing but disaster and famine and war and conflict and problems. And I remember sitting in um, a conference, a Christian conference a couple years ago, and there was a guy there who had a nonprofit, and it was a poverty-directed nonprofit, and he was talking about his hope and his desire to eradicate world poverty within X amount of years. And he's, he gave us all the stats, and he gave us all the numbers, and he talked about, like, the Western world and our wealth and our ability to do things. And he's like, if we all just did so-and-so-and-so-and-so, we could eradicate world poverty, and that's our goal. And I was like, oh, like, that sounds really good, but it's never going to happen. And so I felt like he and his nonprofit were going to be on this endless cycle of, of honestly just disappointment because you can take an individual or individuals or families out of poverty, but to eradicate a world system that's here because of sin is pretty much an impossibility. So the first and foundational truth we need to talk about tonight, and this is something we need to grasp together, is that this world is fallen, broken, and irreparably damaged by sin. And that's not like just a churchy saying, guys. <clears throat> I want you all to really dig into this with me. Our world is broken by sin. That means we will have poverty. We will have illness, famine, war, and disease. Because the world that we live in is not a world that's whole or healthy or holy. It's a broken world. And sin is sometimes something that we kind of relate to and kind of we're like, well, we just make mistakes and get over them, and it's not something we connect to the destruction of really deeply, but you guys, sin destroys. It destroys. The Bible talks about sin not just destroying um, the world around us and its natural cycle, but it also talks about how when we enter into sin and we continue in a pattern of that repeatedly, it destroys us as well. Sin brings death, whether it's the natural world or whether it's our life and our world. So we're going to look at um, some, a lot of scripture tonight, you guys. Um, your scripture is on your second page of notes. And because this is all over the Bible, we're going to skip around to the Bible a lot. And I wouldn't normally put this much scripture out there for you, but we kind of have to tonight. Um, so have no fear. There's a lot of the stuff that we're talking about tonight also in your homework, so you can dig into it one piece at a time this week. And if you get a little overwhelmed tonight, don't worry. You can take it slow this week, and you can... Ask questions. Ask your table leaders, because I don't want to answer them. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, if you guys have questions, please ask them. Ask your table leader. Ask me. You can email me or call me, or they can call me. Um, and if we don't know, we'll call our elders and let them answer you. So, so we're going to read the first scripture, and it's, um, it's out of Romans. And it says, The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be liberated from bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So what is the scripture saying? The scripture is saying that all of creation, the world that we live in, when man fell into sin, the whole of creation fell underneath sin as well. And creation is groaning because of the decay that it feels. And it's not going to get better 
life, it's going to get worse until Jesus returns and set things right. So here's where it could feel really dark for the moment, but guys, it's not. So we're going to get to the good stuff. But to get to the good stuff, we have to understand the real stuff. The world that we know right now is not on a trajectory for better. It's on a trajectory for worse, and it's going to continue to get worse. So poverty is not going to be eradicated. Death is not going to be defeated by science, and we are not going to save the planet. Jesus is going to save the planet. So in case you're squirming because you love social justice right now and you're like, this is the worst hope talk I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) I get you. Me too. I love social justice too. There's nothing that burns my heart up more than injustice or people in slavery or bondage or people not treated well because of who they are. So just because the world is falling apart does not mean that we sit back and do nothing. So hear what I'm saying. Just because we cannot end world poverty does not mean that we don't reach out to those in poverty. We're called to love and serve and preach the gospel. You can't get rid of poverty, but you can help people who are in poverty. So this is the tension and kind of the urgency of our calling. We have to acknowledge the reality of what we're living in, but at the same time, we have to acknowledge the hope that we have, that we're supposed to be sharing with the world around us. We don't stop slavery, but we help people come out of slavery. We can't end sexual sin and injustice, but we are called to heal and love and pursue those who are caught in it. So does it make sense to you guys? Our calling is not to save the world, but to share the gospel that saves the world. And that's a really big difference, because if your goal is to save the world, you're going to be disappointed a lot. But if your goal is to save the people that God puts in front of you through the power of the gospel, you're going to live a life of joy. And those two things are very different. So we're going to go to um, the next thing, which is very important, now that we're all on the same page. The world is going to end in disaster, but Jesus is coming back, physically. And there's a whole bunch of scripture that we're going to read together. Um, Acts 1.11, it's um, the angels are talking to the disciples right after Jesus has gone into heaven. And they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In John 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples at Last Supper, and he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you may also be where I am. So two important things to notice right there. One, Jesus left physically into the sky. So he's going to come back the same way that he left from the sky physically back down. And Jesus is coming back for who? For us. For us. He's coming back for us. He's going right now. He's making some real cute houses up there. I put in some requests for my mansion. I want it to look a certain way. So he's going to prepare a place for us, and he's going to come back and get us and take us to be where he's at. And the next one is out of Revelation 19. It's a description of what Christ looks like when he comes back. It says, his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, which is crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, We're following him on white horses. 
From his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So there's two purposes for Jesus coming back. Number one, he's coming back to get his fam. That's us. He's coming back to get his family. Number two, he's coming back to set everything that has been wrong right. Which means that all of the sin, all of the problems, all of the things that people do to each other, he's coming back to change the whole thing. And we're going to skip the next one. There was a verse from Mark. We're going to skip that right now. So Satan has had kind of a field day up to this point. Like he's been allowed to just kind of do what he wants in this world to a certain extent. And one of the things that I hear a lot, and you guys have probably maybe asked a lot because I've asked it in my life when something terrible happens or when tragedy strikes is, where is God in this? Why doesn't he make things right? And the answer is that he is going to make things right. There's a scripture in Peter chapter 3, um, and I want to read the whole thing. Um, it says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, Where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was delusion destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So what is that scripture saying? Why is God taking his time to come back? He wants everyone to come to him. God is a merciful God. He is a God of judgment, and he will bring that judgment, but he is a merciful God who wants everyone to come to him and repent and be part of the fam. Like, he wants a big house with lots of rooms. It's a, it's a song, right? Yeah, okay. All right. That was a good moment. So the Father has been slow in sending Jesus back, not because he doesn't care about the chaos we live in, but because he cares about us. He's a graceful God. His mercy leads him to be slow so that the sinner can find redemption. Okay, point number two. Very important point. No one knows exactly when Jesus is coming back. Oh, you guys. There are so many people who say they know when Jesus is coming back. There are all kinds of people in the church. Maybe you have run into some of them. Some of them like to think they have the key to secret knowledge. They tell you they have figured out adding Daniel and Revelation together the exact day and time that Jesus will return. And so far, every single one of them has been completely wrong. I think someone, I was talking to Woody on Monday, and he's like, yeah, someone said that, like, September 23rd, Jesus was supposed to come back. Y'all, September 23rd is coming on. Here we are. Matthew 24, 36 says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 says, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. I'm going to tell you guys something. Jesus chooses not to know, right? So there's that question. If God knows everything and Jesus is God, how come he doesn't know? Let me help you. Jesus chose to limit himself when he came to earth as a human being. He chose to limit his knowledge. 
So in this, he's choosing not to know, and he's choosing to let the Father direct him to when he comes back. So if Jesus chooses not to know, do you think that somebody in your church is going to find it out? No. We do not know. The early church thought that Jesus would return in their lifetimes, in the first century, and we are now 2,000 years away from the birth of the church. It is a mystery that God is choosing to keep a mystery, so let's not waste our time on things that don't matter. Let's not waste our time on adding numbers up in Daniel and Revelation. Bless you if you want to try that. But don't listen to anyone who tells you that they have figured it out because they have not. And I was having a conversation with my friend this week or last week, I don't remember, and she was like, how do you know when, like, false messiahs come and they're false? And I was like, you know what, that's a really good question. So we're going to have some, I don't know what to call it, false messiah... 411 tonight. It's going to be great. So I have some examples for you guys. Because scripture also says, like, the other part of people knowing when he's going to come back is they're going to also say, I'm him, and I'm here. So this is Enri Cristo from Brazil. This is a current false messiah. Not Jesus, in case anyone was wondering. Next. This is um, Vissarion of Siberia. First of all, if Jesus chose to come back to Siberia... <laughs> We need to start asking some major questions right away. This is, right, no, no, go back. He was formerly a police officer. He got his first revelation that he was Jesus Christ at the same time the Soviet Union broke up. He's got about 10,000 highly deceived people following him. Yeah. And how do you ask, can 10,000 people be that foolish? I don't know, but they are. So there is something to being aware of what a false messiah sounds and looks like, and we need to know how to figure them out. And how to be like, uh, no. But Siberia is a large clue that it is not the Lord. Just let's, let's put that out there. All right, the next one. This is Jesus of Kitwe, Zambia. And you can see he likes to walk through the market and tell people about himself. Um, he also has a second day job. Besides being Jesus, he's also a taxi driver. You can go to the next slide, love. There it is. And his taxi says, Lord of Lords. I'm going to help you again. If Jesus is driving a taxi, he's not Jesus. Okay? Those are clear signs. On the bottom of your paper, on the first page of your notes, there is a list of false messiahs from the first century to current day. I'm going to give you guys two scriptures, and I want you at your tables to discuss, as you go through the list, the clear signs based on the scriptures as your filter that they are not Christ. I know this might sound elementary, but there is one person in Siberia with 10,000 followers, okay? So let's just go ahead and put the knowledge out there because you never know when someone's going to be like, hey, guess what? Jesus is down the street. And you can be like, hmm, does he drive a taxi? You know, these are good things to ask. So the first scripture, 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is now already in the world. Next slide. Matthew 24. This is Jesus speaking. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform Great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. 
So Jesus is like, look, I'm going to give you guys a little heads up. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, Siberia, do not go out there. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east, is visible even in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. So we're going to leave that up there. And I want you guys to use those two passages as your kind of your filter. I'm going to give you about five, ten minutes to go through. And I want you to like look through these and just like what jumps out at you as a filter as you read through their descriptions as, yeah, this is not Jesus based on the scriptures. All right? Okay, guys, I'm going to call out some questions like, what did you see? And I would really like to hear answers back. <laughs> so what did you guys see in there based on the filters that you got? Yes, Tay? Darkly hinted. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, means he wasn't clear about anything, so Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge problem. Yep. Sufism is an offshoot of, of Islam. So if you are adding to the gospel in any way, shape, or form, also you're saying you're Jesus. Two big problems. Murdering many people, that's a problem. <laughs> yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. You guys, lest you ever think that Satan isn't on your tail or, like, trying really hard to subvert the gospel— Let's never think that. Jesus was gone for two hot seconds and there was a fake Christ. Yeah. We have an enemy and he tries to destroy. I thought you were waving your hand, Allie. Go. Yeah. Yep. Anytime that you try to separate and divide, anytime that the, the spirit that's there is saying that one people group is better than another, n- no, big problem. They did. They all had to say they were Jesus. Do you think Jesus is going to have to, like, announce it when he comes back in the clouds? No. Okay, those are good. So I have a little list to go over with you guys. So next slide. So here's testing the spirits. And this is not just, you know, false Jesuses. This is not just false messiahs. This is for people in your church who will tell you something or say that they have interpreted scripture a certain way, and this is their word of the Lord to you. Be real careful when anyone says they have a word of the Lord for you. Make sure that you test it. Hold it up against the scripture. Does it count? Does it line up? Because you don't want to take what someone says to you as truth, even if it sounds good. Because most of it will sound really good. Okay? So, first thing, don't believe things immediately because they sound good. Uh, The scripture talks about the enemy as an angel of light. And it talks about sin is sweet to the taste like honey on your mouth. So be careful. That what do you listen to? Um, sounds good, but has really poor repercussions. 
The second point, people and spirits from God acknowledge the deity of Christ in the flesh. One of the major things that you'll hear when someone wants to just take the gospel and subvert it a little bit is that Jesus wasn't God. Or he was an angel. Or he was something that God created. So they try to take the deity, the deity away. They won't say, they'll be very clever. The enemy is clever. He won't say Jesus didn't come. He'll say, he came, but he wasn't God. Number three, if they call Jesus anything other than God, they are not from God. Those two go together. Number four, Jesus' second coming will not be like his first. Okay? So the first time he came, no one announced him. He was born in a manger. He came into the earth as a human from the earth. The second time, you're not going to find him in Siberia. You're not going to find him down the street. He's not going to be found on the earth. He's going to be found coming from heaven down. The fifth thing, Jesus will not be found on earth. Sixth thing, he'll be seen by everyone. So that scripture that says, like, you see lightning in the sky and everyone can see it, everyone in the world, I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to do it, everyone in the world will be able to see him coming at the same time. So it's not going to be like, oh, I saw him, you got to come find him. No, it's going to be like, oh, we all see him right now. Everybody sees him at the same time. Do you guys have any questions about that? Yeah. Well, ride. The scripture says ride. But essentially, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, if no one knows exactly when Jesus is coming back, are we able to kind of get a feel for, like, kind of maybe it might be soon? Yes. Scripture does give us some warning signs, and I think the warning signs are for our encouragement, not for fear. I love this passage out of Luke 21, and it might be on the second page of your scriptures. I think it is. Yeah. It says, There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is to come on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. So, the scripture is really clear. Like, people are going to be freaking the heck out, because there's problems on the world. I mean, does the, <laughs> the roaring of the sea and the waves sound familiar? Now, the waves have roared, and we've had hurricanes and storms for thousands of years. That doesn't mean he's coming back next week. But scripture says, when these things begin to take place and people are freaking the heck out, like, get encouraged, because guess what? The love of your soul is drawing near. Ooh, just broke it off. Let's go to the next scripture. Mark, Jesus is talking. He says, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and deceive many. But when you hear wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Sounds like the news again, right? So I will just tell you guys what I personally believe. This is not the gospel. This is not the truth. This is just my opinion. Do not hear this as gospel truth. 
I'm going to get so fired. I think right now we're beginning to feel the beginnings of birth pains. I don't know when Jesus will come back. It might be next week. It might be 100 years from now. It might be 1,000 years from now. But I think that the world is beginning to feel the birth pains a little bit. I'm encouraged, guys. I want to see my Jesus. Like, I'm kind of done. Like, I love you guys, but, like, (laughs) I'm ready for, like, my mansion. You know what I'm saying? And my pool by my mansion. I put in a lot of requests. I'm like a pool lord and maybe some horses to ride. That'd be great. So what do we do with this stuff? Like, okay, Jesus is coming back. He's going to float down from heaven or ride down from heaven. It's going to be something that everybody sees. The world is going to be in a whole lot of trouble before he gets here. What do we do with that? Like, how does that make a difference to my life right now? That would be my question. So what we do with that is we live holy lives sold out for Jesus while we wait. I cannot do anything to make him get here faster. I cannot do anything to change the world on its trajectory, the way it's going. What I can do, and what I need to do, and what I have to do, is love as many people as I can in the name of Jesus until he comes back. Because I want a big group of friends with me. I want you guys to come to my pool party in heaven. It's going to be awesome. If we belong to Jesus, there is nothing to fear. And that has to be the thing that I really want you guys to grasp onto tonight. When you watch the news and you hear about the wars and the rumors of wars and the problems and everything, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get afraid. But you guys, this world is not our final hope. This world is not our final resting place. Carter said it really, really well. This is as close as we're ever going to get to hell. And we have a lot more coming for us. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I want you guys to know what changed for me when I was 15, how I moved from fear to hope. My friend um, Johanna and her mom Sarah had this brilliantly deep love relationship with Jesus, and I was around them a lot um, when I was 15. And I was like, ah, <laughs> so what you got and what I got are different, and I want what you got. Um, and so I remember having just a moment with me and Jesus, and you guys, it wasn't, it wasn't like super flamboyant. It wasn't like super intense. It wasn't even really that deep. It was just a moment where me and Jesus were there, and I was like, Lord, I want relationship with you, and I will give you all of me for the rest of my life if you will let me have that deep relationship with you that they have, and he did. And I can tell you guys, I've never not felt the presence of God since I was 15, and he's my I know it's going to sound cliche, but he really is my everything. I'm able to sit here and stand here and talk to you guys and be through hard things in my life in a healthy way because of who he is. And I've been through hard things, and so I know he's faithful. I know he's able, and I can't wait to see his face. Thanks. I don't know who said that, but yes. Sam. Yes, girl. So while we're here, I'm going to do the best I can to love as many as I can. For me to live is Christ, and then to die is gain. I remember when the Columbine shooting happened, watching that on the news, and I remember the stories that came out of that, and I remember, in particular, I don't remember her name, but there was one girl that they asked, do you believe in God? And she said yes, and they shot her. And I asked myself a question, would I say yes in that scenario? 
And I think I really would, guys. Like, I can say pretty honestly that if someone puts a gun to my head and asks me if I believe in God, I'm going to be like, yes, bye, fool. (laughs) You know? Like, all right, I'm headed up. (laughs) I'm going to call him a fool before everything happens. But... But you guys, I don't, I'm, like, I'm genuinely not afraid. And I want you guys, you know, wherever the world takes us, if you ever read about me passing and going on to the next life in some kind of weird way, like in a hurricane or a plane crash, or maybe I'm 95 in my bed asleep, who knows. But you guys, I am with my Jesus, and I am so good. I am so good. For me to die is gain. I'm not going to go chase it. Like, I'm going to live but it's going to be a beautiful life. And when I get to pass over, it's going to be an even better future. And that's not just for me, guys. That's for everybody in this room. That's for every single one of you, that Jesus knows your name, you belong to him, and he's coming to get you. So we're going to read Revelation 21. I'm skipping some scriptures. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. You see my need for a pool. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Thank you, Jesus. There will be no more pain, no more crying. I don't know about you guys, but I'm so tired of crying. I'm so tired of the pain that we go through. Like, yes, bring it on. I'm ready. He who's seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. And this is our future. This is why we can watch the news and not freak out when there's eight hurricanes within a month. This is why we can watch the news of another mass shooting and mourn deeply and care deeply and care for those who are hurt, but not get upset because our future is not in this world. This is why we don't need to get obsessed about politics. Okay? We have another place that we belong to. So I am going to invite you guys to watch a video. And then Hannah is going to come lead us in some worship. And then this is the question, what's your takeaway? How do you feel about tonight? Has anything jumped out, stood out to you? Do you have questions? Um... I'm going to leave it up to the table leaders to close in prayer, and then I'm going to come up and close at 9, just with one big prayer for all of us, okay? Thank you guys for being patient with me tonight. I hope you're glad there were no robes. That will be next week. I'm just kidding. So um, the video, and then Hannah. Hannah.